And we are going to be continuing this morning our sermon series, um, The Buttons We Press. And this is a, a series that's been put together by uh, Becky, who was our digital pastor, digital lead. And we're looking at those buttons in life that we're tempted to press at difficult times. And last week, I spoke about the snooze button, those times in life where maybe you know you should be doing, you should be acting on something, be it a medical issue or a relationship, relationship issue or your relationship with God, and yet you hit the snooze button, you put it off till later. And as we all know, if you hit the snooze button too many times, you end up missing out on something. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is the volume uh, button. And uh, I'm going to make a confession. Um, Becky put together the sermon series, as I said. She gave a passage, and I started preparing uh, and looking at a passage in the Old Testament. And then I heard a podcast. I don't know if anyone listens to the Kerry Newhoff podcast. Is the leadership podcast, so I'm guessing that might narrow the field somewhat. But he was chatting to someone called John Mark Comer. Uh, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, Leslie, um, who I think is on holiday at the moment, uh, talked about his probably most well-known book, which is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, as you recommended that people read it. He's got a new book coming out at the end of September, end of this month, and he was talking to Kerry Newhoff about that. And I just thought it was an amazing podcast, and it very much summed up uh, what I want to talk about today. When I say sum up, actually I'm going to sum up because my talk's about 20 minutes and his talk was about an hour and a half. Um, but if you want to look at what I'm talking about this morning in more depth, then I've put a link on our Facebook page that should appear at 12 o'clock to the podcast. So if you've got a bit of spare time, maybe it's on the dog walk, which is where I listen to it, on a commute or just sitting in your favorite chair in the quiet you can look at this in more depth. And maybe you might be tempted like me to pre-order the book, which I have done on Amazon, but there are other bookshops available. So the volume button. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. Maybe it is, but I'm finding that if I have noise in the background, I find it more difficult to concentrate on stuff. I mean, when I was a teenager, I used to do all my homework listening to the evening session with Steve Lamack and Joe Wiley on, on Radio 1. I had no problem listening to the music and doing my homework at the same time. Now I have to work in complete silence because otherwise I cannot concentrate. Um, and I find it particularly uh, with my kids. You know, when they're running around, they're making noise, and maybe usually it's when something's gone wrong and I'm trying to sort something out, usually on my phone, send an email, and it's like, be quiet, I can't concentrate. I mean, put your hands up if when you're driving to a destination and you're getting close, it's starting to get a bit complicated and you're looking at your sat-nav, how many of you turn your music off? Yeah, because the music, it's okay if we're just cruising down the motorway, but when we really need to concentrate, noise, music, whatever it is, stops us concentrating. It does something to our minds. In fact, the CIA use it in interrogation. This is what someone on the US psychological operations company told Newsweek um, when I use um, sound and music. It says, these people haven't heard heavy metal. So they're playing heavy metal music to these people. It says they can't take it. Probably some of you might understand why they can't take it. If you play it for 24 hours, 
Your brain and body functions start to slide, your train of thought slows down, and your will is broken. That's when we come in and talk to them. Noise does something to us that makes it really, really difficult for us to concentrate. And we live in a world full of noise. Now, it may not be the audible noise that they're talking about here with heavy metal music, but we are being bombarded time and time again with information. We are information saturated. In fact, there's a term for it, infobesity. Infobesity or information overload or infoxication. It's another one. Well, actually, we just are so bombarded with our phones. You know, we're the most connected generation ever. When my phone is constantly going off with news reports. So I've got three on there already. Breaking news from the, from the BBC and two things off YouTube. Constantly with inf- information. And that's before we even get to our just normal day-to-day lives and the noise that fills our daily lives. Phones, news, media. All these are noise that saturate our lives and it has a profound effect on our ability to think and to function. Perhaps that's why mindfulness is growing increasingly popular. In fact, my kids do mindfulness, I think, every day at school. And they can now do an after-school club in mindfulness. And mindfulness is basically meditation. It's about being fully present aware of who you are and what you are doing, not being reactive or overwhelmed, and aware of our thoughts, our experiences, and our emotions. And this is great stuff. In some ways, this is what we were talking about in our last August sermon series. We just need to stop. We need to be quiet. We need to take our place to those take ourselves to those still places where we haven't got all the noise. Perhaps it's turning our phone off. If you watched our Going Deeper with Jason Perkins, he says he has a, he's turned his smartphone into a dumb phone, where he's got rid of all the apps and just has two things, phone and text. That's all. We need space and silence to center ourselves, to regain control, to ponder and reflect. See, where is that for you? For me, it's my dog walk. But even then, I'm tempted to fill it with noise, put my podcasts on or whatever it is, because I'm just so used to the noise in the background. But that's not enough. That is not enough. See, when I was a kid, I had a Walkman, not the proper Sony Walkman, because my parents couldn't afford that, but a Panasonic version. And on it was a graphic equalizer. Do you remember graphic equalizer? We don't really have that anymore. We had little sliders where you could adjust different aspects of the sound. I've actually got one on my guitar where I've got bass, middle, treble, brilliance. Sound isn't just sound. You can adjust all different aspects of it. So when I was in my 20s driving around in my nice sporty car, I used to stick the bass right up and turn it up so I could attract lots of attention. Though I have to admit, when I did it once, trying to attract maybe a girl, walking across the road. I was at it so loud I couldn't hear the engine and stalled it, and it was rather embarrassing. <laughs> we can adjust the sounds. And the problem with things like mindfulness, or even just taking yourself somewhere quiet, a monastery or something to meditate, is that it brings down some of those sliders, but there is one slider that remains constantly there, humming in the backgrounds. 
never going, never leaving us. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. See, mindfulness comes to things uh, with um, a non-judgmental attitude. And so you just explore. But actually, Jesus made it clear there is a battlefield of our minds. There's a spiritual warfare going on. It isn't just around there, but actually it's happening in our brains. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 8 and verses 42 to 45. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to, to it with me. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, we've been singing about that this morning, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So Jesus here is talking about Satan, the devil. He calls the father of lies. And he says in in the warfare between good and evil, between God and devil, we know that God has won the day. That through Jesus, we have the victory. And there isn't some sort of battle going on with angels against demons and all this sort of stuff. No, it's a lot more subtle than that. Because Jesus talks about the father of lies. It's about misinformation. It's about subtlety. It's about the lies that are whispered into our brains, into our minds, and it permeates the whole of culture. When we look at our world, the father of lies has won completely, or so it seems. If you look at our church, we are massively deceived about all sorts of aspects of life. We have exchanged the truth for a lie because of those whispers. Because of that subtlety. So what are some of those lies that maybe we have in culture? It says you need to look a certain way. It says you're incomplete unless you're in a sexual relationship. The life is better if you have more things. Maybe it's that there's something better around the corner, so do not commit to anything. There's a thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. Don't commit to something because there might be something else on offer that you want to go to instead. Instead, you end up doing nothing. Maybe it's that freedom equals doing whatever you want. That morality is relative, that we're just all animals. These are these big lies in culture. But maybe for you, there are lies that are being whispered directly to you. Perhaps it's saying, you know, you're married, but we're not meant to be monogamous forever. Maybe you need to, you know, try someone else. Maybe it's that whisper saying, you're, you're stupid. You're no good. Maybe it's the lie that's been spoken to you all your life. Maybe from a person, or maybe it's you that's speaking that into your life. Maybe it's saying you'll never be successful, so just give up. Don't bother. Maybe it's whispering about God. He doesn't love you. 
He's not a, he's not a father. You're not even going to make it into heaven unless you try really, really hard. These are subtle ways in which the devil, the father of lies, wins us over. And this is a drone that's going on, a buzz, a hum, a white noise in the background that we are unaware of because it's always been there. I remember I worked with a guy, uh, as a he was a teacher, went to training, same time as me, but he was quite a bit older because he used to be an electrician. He used to work up north in the factories. And he said when it came to night shifts, what he'd do, he'd find the engine room where it was nice and warm. He had this hum of the engines all the time. He used to just fall asleep. Lull to sleep by that drone. And I find at the end of summer, when we no longer lead our fans, I find it difficult to get to sleep because I like that. Just Who likes the, the noise of the fan in the background? Is it just me? There's a few, few people. Because you find it covers all the other noises. Or you can even get an app on your phone that just plays white noise all the time. Some people go, no, 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 like that at all. We are even aware of that noise in the background that lulls us to sleep. So how do we turn down the lies spoken over us? How can we be aware of the, that hum in the background? How would we combat this? Best person to look to, Jesus. So I'm look at Luke chapter 4, and verses 1 to 13. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I guess. Uh, Jesus has just been um, baptised by John the Baptist, and is about to launch into this groundbreaking, world-changing few years with his disciples, healing people, cussing out demons, and ultimately dying on a cross and being rose again. It's just a roller coaster uh, of, a few, of a couple of years, which is just echo throughout the whole of history. But before Jesus sets out on this, after he's been baptized, after he's been affirmed by his heavenly Father, this is my son whom I love. He decides to take himself on a little retreat. This is what it says in chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he'd just been baptized, and was led by the Spirit, Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, into the deserts. Deserts are by nature solitary places, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Notice, he'd taken himself away from the noise and the busyness from friends and family into where there was no one, and yet there was still that drone, that buzz, that noise in the background of the father of lies. The father of lies, the devil, was still there. On the slider, everything else had been turned down, but that was still turned up. Jesus ate nothing during those days. And I love this, understatement of the year. And at the end of it, he was hungry. I'd be starving. I'm starving if I miss breakfast, let alone 40 days without food. And the devil said to him, whispered into his ear, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Nothing major, is it? He's hungry. If he's true to the son of God, just, just turn that stone into, into bread. It's not a big thing. It's so subtle. And how did Jesus answer? He said in verse 4, it is written, man does not live on bread alone which is taken directly from Scripture, according to my Bible, is Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. Probably taken out of context, but what he's done is use God's words against the devil. And we get the same happening again. The next time the devil leads him up to a high place and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. 
And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. What's the catch? Worship me. Once again, how does Jesus respond? See, this is less subtle now. The devil's starting to go a little, a little bit harder. It says, it is written. Where is it written? In the Bible. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil has another go, getting even less subtle now. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for here. And then what the devil does, he quotes scripture at him. He says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and so on and so forth. And how does Jesus answer? It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And at that, the devil finished, went off and left him to it. Jesus counters lies with truth. And those truths are found in God's word. When I did my engineering degree, which I did very badly at, if you were here last week, you know that I did very badly at it. Not too bad at the end. I learned about noise cancellation. At that time, it was in cockpits, in aeroplanes. Fighter pilots, you know, got these huge, massive jet engines next to them. They wouldn't be able to hear anything. So what they do, they, they put in noise cancellation where they take the noise, and it's a wave, and they use the exact opposite sound wave, and then when they put them together, they cancel out and become nothing. I now have noise cancellation headphones. So I've got headphones that will do that for me. It takes the exact opposite sound wave and uses that to make it nothing, quiet, silence. That's how it works here. The opposite of a lie is truth. And if you want to counter that buzz, that hum, that constant whisper in your ear, then you have to speak the truth. So how do we do this? So in the podcast, John Mark Comer suggests this. He says, first of all, meditate, explore, examine your thoughts. Mindfulness is a good thing. So take that time to be quiet. Take that time to go on a retreat. Take that time to think carefully about those things that are troubling you, that are worrying you. Perhaps write it down. Even better, share it with someone else. Maybe someone you trust. And then pray and ask God to provide you with scripture that cancels out the lie. And then meditate on that truth instead. That's the important bit. At the end, meditate on the truth in order to get rid of the lie. I thought that's great. That's really, really good. There's one slight problem there, though. Not all of us are maybe as Bible literate as we would like. So there's one answer to that. First of all, delve into your Bible more. Okay? This is why we preach. This is why I'm preaching. I'm hoping that I'm preaching you the truth so this can start to get into your head. This is why it's so important you become part of a, a home group because then you're looking at the Bible again and speaking truth. Read your Bible. Jen, my wife, you're, uh, how, you're reading the Bible in a year? You're getting close to you two-thirds of the way through? <laughs> yeah, she started. Well, it depends when you start it, but you start it in January. Digest this. I wish I was like new Christians that just read this. They just can't get enough of it. I'm old hat. The problem is it becomes a bit familiar, and yet you need to keep that up. 
But if that's difficult, still try it. But actually just being part of a home group, being, part of our, being with others who know the Bible maybe better than you, can say, wait a minute, no, that's a lie because it says in here the truth. That ultimately is the answer. The truth is found in here. You need to meditate on the truth. Put on your biblical noise cancellation headphones and allow Jesus to speak truth into your heart and into your mind and make you aware of the lies that have been whispered into your minds.